Good evening, everybody. I don't know why there seems like there's more of you now, even than last night. I'm curious how your day has been and how you are and if you're planning to stay. <laughs> has, any, has it crossed anyone's mind at all? You, you don't have to put your hand up. But actually, I wonder, is there a way I can still go if I needed to? And that's not unusual if that has been the case. It doesn't have to have been, but... It's not always easy to stay. Um, and I want to acknowledge, I want to start by acknowledging, especially for some of you who are new to practice, and maybe if you're, even if you're not new, there's an adjustment for most people in coming onto a silent retreat. If Probably many of you, I'm guessing the majority, have lives that are busier than the one that you had today. Um, have more things to do, think about, look at, um, engage with, more interesting, exciting than your breath and your feet. Um, so it can sometimes feel for us that there's a momentum and then we stop and that momentum kind of feels like it topples us forward or we just check out and sleep. Or um, So I want to acknowledge that. You're not alone if that is the case. There's an art to staying. And sometimes um, we don't always act as if we're really willing to stay. What would it look like to make that commitment to yourself and your practice and what is possible that we, you, will intend to stay? What might it look like when your foot touches the ground? Do any of you know this experience where you're practicing walking meditation and, okay, yeah, I'm supposed to let my foot touch the ground, let my attention marry there, sense that fluidity as the foot lifts, rises, lands. Do you know the experience when all of a sudden, oh, something else, someplace else, some other idea, some other world, some other universe, some other self, some other retreat, that pulling up and away from the ground. Does anyone know that? And it will be highlighted here. It's not that you're doing anything wrong, those habits of attention will be highlighted where not all of us, or not all of us, very often we notice we're not fully pledged in our heart to stay. And when I say that, I don't only mean in this retreat, in this step. It could even be an existential question for some. Or it may be that we really love life 
and still we can see those places that want to move away. I was really struck, a friend of mine recently, practitioner of many years, beautiful woman, done a, really cultivated a lot of beautiful qualities and many insights. And she bumped into a crisis in her life. And she said to me last week, she was practicing with the difficulty that was arising for her. And she said after three or four days of this quite intense difficulty, she said, oh, I've just, I've just heard a part in me, or a pattern, or a, a momentum. She said, I've just heard this part in me that doesn't want to stay. And hearing that, her seeing that, sensing that, recognizing that, that which could see that dis-ease was not bound by it in that moment. That which could hear the cry and the pain of, oh no, that is blessed. that can breathe out, can root in something deeper and wider. That seeing can root in timeless Dhamma, such that she felt not bound by that call to disappear of contact with herself and the world. So I want to acknowledge this, if this is what you're seeing, and I want to acknowledge also whatever whatever suffering may be here for you as an individual that you may have brought to the to the retreat right we don't avoid our life by coming we stop and see it that you bring to the retreat individually or collectively that we bring to the retreat uh, planetarily these are I don't know what words we can say for this era that we are participating in. And maybe every era sees its own challenges and ills and gifts. But to enter into practice, to enter into a timeless refuge, and the Dhamma is known and One of the epithets of the Dhamma is timeless, that it bears fruit whatever the season, that there is a liberative possibility whatever the conditions are presenting to us, inner and outer. 
to enter into the timeless Dhamma, we do well to acknowledge that we are here. Here and now, another epithet of the Dhamma, Sanditiko, apparent here and now. And to know this timeless Dhamma, we must acknowledge the conditions that are here for us individually, collectively, and of our times. To know the Dhamma that bears fruit, whatever the season, we must intersect wholeheartedly with what we find. So I want to acknowledge whatever you bring here this year, this lifetime. The sufferings of being spun around in the tradition we call the worldly winds of praise and blame. Anyone got that one sorted in their life, internally or externally? The worldly winds of pain and pleasure. These blow whether you're a Buddha or not a Buddha. The worldly winds of gain and loss, whatever losses you may have known this year, and whatever gains, to acknowledge them. And and as I offer this reflection, I I want want to um, invite you to make a gesture, uh, or at least try out a gesture, Um, I was just checking if our Buddha has this gesture. He has part of this gesture. Um, So if you will, with me, to uh, either your right or left hand or both, actually, let the palm and the soft animal of your pad of your hand um, make contact with the ground. And as you do this, let yourself... It might be the mat... If you're on a chair, you might find that harder. You can improvise. It can be your foot. It can be your hand on the chair. (coughs) You're at the chair or, or at the wall, actually. But let your hand make contact. Let the pad of your palm rest down into. Make, really make contact there. And pause and linger and wait for your breathing body to be breathed through that soft palm. Wait. Wait for the breathing that comes through that soft palm. Don't be tentative. Relinquish. Oops. Don't be tentative. Relinquish the idea, if you have it, that this path is something that you have to do on your own as a separate little being. Because to be embodied is to be embedded in what is more than us. There is no embodiment apart from the context that we are in. Wait for your body to breathe as you plug into a bigger circuit board. That's one image. I had one. I have one student um, 
And he used to do this strange thing in interviews, and I always wondered what he was doing until I real, think I asked him or realized. And at, if any point this is uncomfortable, then remove your hand if you need to. But and in an interview, he and I, this was a man who had had a very hard life, and and he um, in the meetings that we had, I would often see him sit on the chair and just touch the wall like that. And I came to see that as something quite beautiful. I think initially I didn't understand. Initially I thought, oh, he has to, you know, do something. He can't just be with it. Or No. There's something wise in his acknowledgement that he doesn't end. in any conventional sense of where he thinks he's ending. Sure, he can have his integrity and boundaries, but there's something about the plugging in that he knew. And if you wait, does anyone wait for their breath? Did anyone notice a breath? What kind of breath happens when you acknowledge this level of what is more than you? And if you didn't notice anything, practice it and see. If you're out there doing the walking sometime and it gets tight and dry and uh, trying too hard or just a bit too out there or whatever's happening, stop. Put that pad of your foot like a little cat's paw. Pad that pad right deep into the ground and wait. Open your view if your view is small and thinks that you have to do this on your own and wait till your breath is breathed through that pad of your foot. Because any time we shrink our conception, narrow our view of who and what is walking this path, then any attempt to just keep pushing harder will keep landing in a place of hardness and dryness when maybe what I need to do is acknowledge what is more than me. And there are many ways we can do that. And there are many ways we can can conceive of what is more than me. So at any time in this talk, please make a gesture. Not because you need to and, you know, somehow you can't handle things on your own. (laughs) That's just an old idea. So I want to acknowledge any personal dukkha, suffering that comes here tonight from your year, from your life, that is some of the kinds of sufferings of our era. It's well documented, I understand, the crises for many, crises of meaning and meaningfulness that can be one of the malaises in a modern, postmodern era.
crises of loneliness and isolation, as uh, Kinchino mentioned. Crises of belonging, knowing, and I and I know this isn't going to be everybody's story, but I want to acknowledge where it is, or to what degree it is. To whom and what do I belong? And I doubt that was a suffering that the Buddha experienced, even before he was awake. Some kinds of dukkha belong to time and place. Some have named some of the crises of our times as crises of disembodiment. The kinds of ways we can view and see when we have lost contact with our fleshy, filled out, pulsing animal body. Or when we've pulled away in fear or distrust. Some have named the crises of this times as a crisis of misplaced desire. What is the correct place or what is a place for our desire that leads onward? Because probably all of us in this room know, even if we don't always remember in our actions, that no matter where, what we get, it never ends the thirst, the hunger. But where could we place that desire in such a way that leads onward, that leads towards a timeless Dhamma that is robust and sturdy enough for the winds that blow individually, collectively, whether that's the crises of the tangle of injustice ongoingly, of famine, of inequality like has never been seen before, of wars over resources. A Dharma that is robust and blessed that can respond. And acknowledging also our planetary situation of devastation to the ecology, to the body of this planet of which we rise out of. That is no longer, and many of you have lived with these truths for some time. And thank you, whatever level, the collective levels, the personal, this planetary, thank you for living with these truths as some of us take our time to wake up to these. Breathing, are you breathing? What do we do? 
with information and lived experience for many. What do we do with these dukkhas of our times? Where we're told now, even if many on the edges and in the roots and with the knowledge told us for a very long time, but now in, in, from the, uh, I imagine many of you will have seen the United Nations report in October of the world's leading scientists from many countries coming together to let us know if we didn't already, that we're fast approaching, faster than we knew, a line that if we cross the devastation of catastrophic climate change will have gone past a point of return that we can return from. Let's breathe together because here's where I meet you. This is not something that belongs. to one person and should not, though many have carried all these levels without the rest of us at times. This is ours. And I want to meet you here. Can we breathe together here? Will you wait for your breath here? Will you join a circuit board, a bigger context, when you tighten and wish not to stay? Or wish to push forward the other way the Buddha spoke? He spoke brilliantly of this craving to not become the craving, like my friend said, to, to not stay, right? And the craving to push and assert ourselves out of our embeddedness, dislocated from, and assert that one. Will you stay with me? And staying means acknowledging and seeing when I don't want to stay, when I check out, when I push forward, when I go, ah. Can we plug in this way as humans, in this case humans, who face crises have done in all cultures, in all times, in all places, who know this well, some way better than I know. Are you breathing? Do you have your ground?
And if at any time you think, God, I hope this stops soon, just acknowledge that and see if you will stay. So, the Dhamma. The Dhamma is timeless. It bears fruit in any season. The freedom can be known in any season. It is apparent here and now when we practice and when we have the framework to help us look deeply and see this robust framework that can free us in the midst of what is here. What will help us make this shift, keep making this shift, to take our refuge in Dhamma? I think it was John O'Donohue, the Irish poet, philosopher, mystic, who he said he once asked Rupert Sheldrake, what is one thing us human beings can do that would really make a difference? And he said, if every tourist were to become a pilgrim, if every tourist were to become a pilgrim, So this is a possible way of thinking about our retreat this week. If you're here at all as a tourist, (laughs) and I I don't want to, you know, discredit tourists, absolutely, uh, make a complete binary, but I want to sort of stereotype a little bit so that we can see potentially what could really serve us in our way of traveling here together. So please, if I'm doing anyone a disservice in the way you have been a tourist, I ask for your forgiveness. But perhaps you know the part where we're hungry and we just want a new experience and another thing and a few more pina coladas and uh, and something to just kind of like, because I deserve it, or whatever it is, the, the ethic or the view and the narrative that we're in. And even even the consuming of knowledge um, where we go or what we do. Ouch, I can feel that when I say it. As I even enact it, and my heart kind of stiffens a little bit. What would allow us to be a pilgrim here these days? It's about the mode of travel, right? That our days here on retreat may not just be um, and, and I know many of you may know this, but some of my function is to remind us and some of my function is to give new ideas if you haven't thought about it this way. But a pilgrim for me, when I think of that stance, even though I've never actually done a formal pilgrimage in any classical sense, and I know some of you have, um, there's a shift in my orientation when I think of being a pilgrim that instead of trying to get something for myself, even though there, of course there will be benefits to practice, that's why somebody would do that, but instead of trying to get something for myself, that my mode of travel is more like an offering, 
It's like I come to the places and the shrines and the lands and the spirit of the lands that pre predates me and will post-date me. And I somehow come with a, a, a more humble gesture. I can, I can feel the difference as I enact it right now. Come with a more humble gesture. And humble here has the same root in its word, in its, in its root, its etymology of the, of the humus, the earth the joining, the knowing, the plugging into the, this more than me. Pilgrim, pilgrimage for me has a kind of relinquishing in it. It's not supposed to be super comfortable, I understand. Um, it's not making hardship a virtue as such. But it is recognizing that if we enter with a spirit of what's possible here to be cultivated, then that relinquishment, that hardship is not a self-berating or a non-caring. It's coming because I want to meet the edges where I don't want to stay. Not in any forceful way. Because sometimes we learn wisely how to back off but we come with that spirit of possibility. And I'm, um, I understand in the opening talk of the manager's talk here, um, Rebecca will have mentioned the peoples, the original peoples of this place and this, this piece of land where we are now. Is that right? Did she say that yesterday? Yeah. Acknowledging this. And I'll name these peoples again as part of the homage to the place that we're in here for us to be willing to stay. So this place, and right now, let's not let this be abstract, but really this place, right? Our era has done marvelous things with abstractions, and it has done terrible things in the name of abstractions. This place, these lands originally named the Nipinet lands from humans. And the peoples from these lands, the Nipmuc people. Yes. Let yourself breathe there. Maybe some of you have that heritage. I don't know. But can we pause and breathe past the part that might feel the pains and the sorrows and the confusions around the wounds of these lands and still stay.
and wait for your breath we wake up as we abide abiding making home Acknowledging the gifts, acknowledging the wounds, breathing out. And as we acknowledge whatever needs to be acknowledged in our heart, your heart, wait for your body. How are you doing right now? Are you breathing? Is the flesh of your buttocks allowed to melt and soften and take your place? Are your arms allowed to be the extensions of your heart that they are? I have found it a really useful distinction in my practice. I think attributed to Ajahn Chah, I believe, where he talks about the dukkha, the suffering that leads to more suffering and the suffering that leads to the end of suffering. I find that useful, right? So it's not the suffering itself, the, the kind of like, oh, ah, the contraction, the pain, the dis-ease, the oh, or the, just the loss of the pain of the loss of contact when we've dissociated because it's too much to bear at times. But the suffering, yes, that when we see and sense because the cultivation of the path is clearly understood and has been practiced, then that suffering can be something that leads onward towards the goal And what is the goal of this path? Let's be clear about what this path is in the service of. There are many things that we might not be clear about what this path is in the service of. Sometimes we we hear, yes, there's, there's mindfulness and there's generosity and there's metta and kindness and there's concentration and samadhi and and. but we're not always clear exactly how it all fits together. And it's important to be clear and have a frame for this, or else we may stay with a smaller or limited version of what might be possible for us 
individually and collectively. As I understand it, the Buddha was teaching the um, a fundamental and radical shifting and a, what would be the best way to put it, a, um, I had a nice word for it here somewhere, overturning, that's a nice word, an overturning of avidya. Avidya in Pali means ignorance, like a fundamental delusion about existence and the way we see it that is uprooted and overturned. It's radical. Yes, it includes mindfulness and yes, the the semata of presence, of being here, of this firmness and the filling out and the embodiment, yes. But it's in the service of what? It's in the service of this radical uprooting and turning. It's a radical path. He was a radical teacher. And as I understand the root of the word radix, I believe, has to do with root. It's like something that goes to the root. And I'm pointing that way for root because I'm an earthling and that's what I think of with roots. But our roots can go in many, many directions and we can allow those roots in what is more than us to grow and deepen and we'll get there more with that. But let's not limit that. But this is a a, a radical teaching. So check and see at any time in your sitting, your walking, your being here this week, if your view of the path starts to be or starts to um, forget that umbrella picture, that big picture. You know, sometimes we might have that in the beginning and go, yes, I really want that. And then we're asked to follow our breath and pay attention and it can be hard and your body hurts and you just get tight and with the breath or you know it feels a bit joyless and you go oh it's too hard to develop samatha and concentration I think I'll just kind of like be with my body a bit and see what arises and see if I can be with that a bit that's good that will do it no Yes, sometimes we have to learn to back off. That's skillful. Sometimes we have to learn when we've pushed too hard on the breath and we've dried up and we, our heart is sore from... I remember sitting right there on a three-month retreat, like right where some of you are sitting there for three, for three months here, a long time ago, like trying so damn hard that my heart had turned into a tight bundle of pressure takes a while sometimes to see our habits here but it's good and sometimes we need to learn how to back off yes but let not that make your conception and your view of the path not do service to what is possible for us as a human being yeah Along the way, we will tussle with our habits of attention. We will run into them and we may have to employ other means that are skillful. But do not settle for, well, you can settle for whatever you like, but I want to remind you, and it is my function to remind you, that 
this is possible and this is what these teachings are in the service of. So that the view of existence shifts, is turned around. That the ignorance that is spoken of isn't an insult. It's ways that we're uh, seeing and sensing existence that are fundamentally deluded and we don't even know it. Something else is possible. And I think that's what brings most of us to practice. We want something else that's possible. Either we intuit that, we hope for it, or we're desperate because we've tried everything else, or there's a burning faith that go, that's yes, something in me, the flame in the heart, navigates and lights up when I hear that teaching. I want that radicality. Or I might be scared of that radicality, but something in me keeps calling me back to that. For our benefit, yes. But as a pilgrim, it's also an offering, that our practice could be an offering for those who come after us, those who um, will inherit all of the gifts and the wounds that we leave, individually, collectively, planetarily. What shall we offer? In, so the aim of the path, as I understand, is very clear. And the two wings, we could say, of insight and of cultivation. Insight is to learn through practice to see and sense internally and externally in ways that liberate, that free us from that binding, the binding of the heart to um, a perpetual spinning uh, in something that doesn't deeply free and neither satisfy us. So insight, the seeing and knowing and sensing the world in ways that are liberative, that free us up, that unbind, that unbind the, the tangle that we get to see when we're willing and courageous enough to come to a retreat. We'll get to see the tangle. That's, if you've got a tangle, it's not a personal failing. It's not something you've done wrong. This is something that can lead onward and we can, we, with practice of cultivation and frames for looking and seeing our experience through the lens of Dhamma, we can learn something quite radical about unbinding the sense of self, the sense of other, and the sense of world. This we can know. You have enough wherewithal to enter this path. So this insight arm of the path 
um, brings with it understanding about the nature of self, the nature of uh, things. The second arm of cultivation, kusala, cultivating beautiful, what is beautiful. The chitta, the heart-mind, so in our retreat title, uh, embodying the heart of wisdom, the heart, the chitta, so not only the emotional heart, not only um, the heart as physical organ, as pump, but heart as this sensitive, resonant, impactable and impacting-ness that you call you. This heart can be cultivated and I'm reminding some of you, it might be new knowledge for some of you, but these cultivations can go deeper and wider. Cultivation of the beautiful qualities, the kindness, the generosity, the samatha, the um, patience, the forbearance, the many, many, many cultivations we'll speak about. Why? Because one, they're beautiful in and of themselves, they make us happy. And not just happy, 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 but the happiness that leads onward to release. They make us happy. They are nourishing. They are uplifting. They fill us up. They, they uh, satisfy to a large degree, not entirely, but satisfy the hungers of the soul. Another way we can see some of the crises of our times, or at least of the consumerist part, is that we don't feel like we have enough, right? And these cultivations of the kusala fill up, nourish, harmonize, suffuse, feed. Not feed the ego, but feed and nourish this that you call you that allows you to abide here and now more easily. And as we cultivate those qualities, and they can be cultivated, the insight part and discernment we can learn through contemplative practice, these cultivations of qualities we can practice. You're doing it by sitting on the cushion. You're practicing many things, patience at the very least, right? These qualities make us happy. They allow also letting go to happen more easily. right? If we're filled up a little more here, it's a little easier to relinquish. And they allow the insight to go deep. And we can all do that. We can all practice kindness. We can all practice letting go. We don't have to wait till my mind settled to do that. It was so, I, I so appreciated this ceremony this morning. Um, I, would, I would be curious, you know, what you noticed for yourself in it, wherever you participated in it. Um, oh, struck by many things about it. At first, as I said, I was full of joy at just that we would do this together. And as you were bringing your phones up or making your gesture of relinquishment, which is, you know, some of you made this gesture, if you can see me, uh, if you didn't have the phone, some of you made this gesture, uh, anyhow, um, which if you look at it, 
Remember I said hands were going to be a part of this talk. If you look at that gesture it, of how you put your phone in the basket, it's a lot like a gesture of offering something, right? There's a relationship between releasing and offering. And as you came up and were carrying on, at first I was, you know, there was a lot of joy uh, that was filling out. And then I, and then I, my heart turned into something very tender. Um, joy can be tender, but it was, it was a little bit more bubbly joy in the beginning. And it turned very tender of, um, God, I was really touched by this voluntary gesture of relinquishment. Um, that you don't have to do. I wonder if anybody else, what anyone else noticed around those things. I feel a little shy as I tell you of this, you know, oh, I feel shy, I feel shy to express my, how, how I was touched by that of us. Northern Hemisphere folks willingly releasing. Something that we, and some of you may not be Northern Hemisphere folks, but you know, many of us are, um, releasing something in the service of a cultivation and a path of freedom and practice. Often, I don't know about you, but I can see sometimes the habit and pattern in my mind. What do you do in a dull moment in the day that has to do with your mobile phone, your cell phone? Know. Anyone know that pattern? Like in any in a dull moment, you'll just check it, just have a little look. Any messages? Anyone f- anyone care about me at the moment? Yeah, just any. What if going to get a reflection or something to look up? Or right, we can be bonded. Attention likes to bond to something, and so releasing the phone in this way, we're unbinding from that pathway. And at first, it might be disorienting for some. It can also feel like a big relief. Um, but it allows room for our attention to be cultivated here and now in this location called your body to start to gather and collect this attention. with the tasks that we're given in meditation to gather and collect the attention again and again and again. So that it doesn't just skip out to the familiar ways that it skips out. We're left, we're kind of thrown back on ourselves in a way. And that takes courage and it is the beginning the beginning of a path which we will do our best to lay out for us to follow together. But for now, wherever you are with it, remembering 
that this is a path that points to a radical shift. That when you're walking in the dining room and part of you wants to pull up from the earth, pull out of your feet, pull away up into your head or further still, that's okay. But what will invite you to stay? Not because you should, not because I said it's a good idea, but because in the staying, that's where we start to get the intimations that lead onward. The intimations of something timeless, a timeless knowing that we can start to take refuge in. Where we can handle the beauty, the tragedy, where our, inst- our spiritual instinct is perked, peaked, in such a way that we intuit there are more beyonds. This leads onward. And so we keep coming back. So when you're walking outside and the mind says, no, don't want to do it anymore. Get me out of here. And I don't think that's just my mind that has that shape. What will help you remember? Not dragging yourself back, no. Don't treat yourself badly in this. Please don't. But what will invite you? And whether that's touching the wall, touching the earth, not because you failed, but because you are reminding your whole visceral sense of the more than you. As the Buddha did here in this gesture with his hand touching the earth. I would, one, one way I could see that is he is reminding himself of that bigger context, of the more than him. That he plugs himself into on the night of his awakening when he is assailed by dukkha. Whether when you're walking outside and you want to go, or you want to push, maybe you can remember that this is a path of patience and forbearance and that that has its own beauty. Maybe you can remember the spirit of the land here, of the humans that have come and lived here for a long time. Or the trees, or the animals. Maybe you can remember 
to breathe out. And say to yourself, it's okay, my love. You don't have to stay forever. (laughs) But can you stay for this breath? It's okay, you don't have to stay forever, but can you stay for this footfall and let the pad of your animal foot relinquish its weight thoroughly back so you breathe out and you give yourself back in a gesture of offering to that step. Be creative. Not a creativity that takes you away but your bright souls that take you to stay. Because this is where we meet. This is where we'll have the best meetings. When you and I do the work of cultivation and insight. Here we can meet. Here we can bow. Here I don't have to have the answers. I don't have to be polished. I can be human. And I can acknowledge my reciprocity with what is more than human. And as I breathe in, right now as you breathe in, and right now as you breathe out, maybe remembering and acknowledging this covenant of giving and receiving breath that marks this realm, this human realm, this animal realm. Your breath, the breath of us animals, feeding the plants and the breath of the plants, those beings, as Robin Wall Kimmerer puts it, those beings who can photosynthesize. And she says it so beautifully that no longer do I see it as just something I learned in biology, but as some sacred mystery, (laughs) paying homage to those beings who photosynthesize as I breathe out and give my breath to them and they to us. This covenant of reciprocity. Then our practice is an offering. Then it's something sacred. Then it can become something um, that leads onward. So let's practice together, let's meet here, and this is our beginning, this is our laying the table tonight for our work together. May it truly be of service, and may it truly be beautiful, even when it's hard. Thank you for your, for coming, thank you for staying thus far. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. So let's sit for a minute together.
May all beings be able to abide in well-being, free of affliction, free from ill will. May all beings be able to breathe out in safety and rest on earth as earth. And may all beings know joy. I'm aware it may have felt like a long day for some of you, so I'm going to make an executive decision. I haven't checked with my colleagues, but let's just take 15 minutes um, for walking practice, and if the bell ringer could adjust accordingly, and we'll meet back here at court. Oh no, I'm already five minutes over, so... Yeah, we'll come back at 10 to as scheduled, but we'll end with a, sh- a short sitting on this first night, so not to overtax you. Um, yeah, so please take some time for walking practice. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.